As Dave mentioned earlier, we're going to be continuing in our series in the book of Luke, uh, a series that we've entitled On the Road with Jesus. Uh, And the reason we've called it that is because Luke's gospel is a book full of journeys. uh, And it's a book where we see Jesus go from place to place, teaching, healing the sick, and calling people to follow him. And as we continue today, we we need to quickly look back at some of the journey so far, uh, as well as then getting to what we're going to read today. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through to 32. So if you do have a Bible, I'd really encourage you, get it out, open it up. Don't just take my word for it, uh, but read it for yourself. Uh, But if you don't have one, don't panic. The words will come up on the screen for you to read along. Uh, But just before we get to the passage by way of context, we need to remember that a few weeks ago we read in chapter 4, Jesus speaking to some people in his hometown. And as he did, he opened up the scriptures and read from the Old Testament prophetic book of Isaiah, and he read some promises about what the Messiah would come and do, and he applied them to himself, and he said, I'm here, this is me, this is what I've come to do. And having made that claim, I think you'd agree that it's important we then look and see, uh, is he going to do it? (laughs) Is Jesus just all mouth? Or is he actually going to walk the talk? What he said he'll do, will he do it? And we get the opportunity through the rest of Luke's gospel and in the verses we'll read today to to actually examine that and to say, will Jesus do that which he said he would do? And so last week we began to see that unfolding as we saw Jesus call some fishermen and invite them to follow him to join him in his mission. And uh, we, we kind of skipped over this bit last week, but I just want to give it for context today because the fact that he called fishermen is a much bigger deal than you or I would probably realize at a first read of it. We kind of think, you know, quirky choice of disciples for a, a religious teacher, but hey-ho, you know, why not? Fishermen. Uh, but actually, uh, it was a big deal And it's important we understand that because it was all part of Jesus fulfilling what he said he'd come to do. See, these fishermen were were relatively uneducated. The fact that they were fishermen tells us, actually, that they had effectively kind of dropped out of school. They didn't make the grade, and so they then went and learnt a practical trade from their father. And rabbis, or religious teachers, which Jesus was being received as and viewed as at that time, they didn't call fishermen. (laughs) The rabbis, or religious teachers, called the brightest and the best to come with them. They called the brightest and the best to be their followers and to take on their teaching and then to relay that teaching to other people. Jesus called fishermen. (laughs) Effectively, Jesus called the last and the least and said, come and follow me. (laughs) Learn my teaching 
and pass it on to others. No one, no one would expect a great teacher to call fishermen to spread his teaching to others. But that's exactly what Jesus did. So far, so good. Jesus is doing what he said he was going to do. That he'd come for the marginalized, he'd come for the outcast, he'd come for the oppressed, he'd come for the captive, he'd come for those who the world wouldn't necessarily choose. And in today's verses, we've got three stories where we get to see again. Can Jesus' claims be trusted? Will he do what he said he would do? And so we're going to look together, we're going to read it in a chunk at a time, and then open it up and apply it as we go. So we're going to start from verse 12 now, and we read this about the first encounter that we'll read about today from verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. I think we might have the wrong slides. That's uh, from Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 12, rather than, or 1 to 11, rather than 12 to 32. Bear with us a second, and we'll see if we can get it sorted. Are we there? If not, I can... Um, cool, we're good. Good, good, good. Thank you so much, guys. There's a lot to get sorted for these live stream services. So um, these guys work incredibly hard to pull this off. We're so grateful to you. Thank you. Good, so let's read together from verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. Here, in the first of our three encounters, Jesus meets a leper. Now you have to understand the significance of this. Lepers were considered so unclean, so untouchable, that they were ostracized from society. If a leper even entered a house, the whole house was declared unclean. If you touched a leper, you were declared unclean and you had to go through a whole load of purification rituals in order to come to worship at the temple. In fact, if you even got too near to a leper, you were in trouble. The religious laws were so extreme that it was illegal to greet a leper. See a leper in the street and say hello? you've broken the law. It's almost a bit like some of the social distancing laws we've got at the moment, but just targeted at lepers rather than everyone. And lepers had to remain at least 100 cubits away, that's roughly 50 metres away, if they were upwind from someone, and at least four cubits or two metres away if they were downwind. Lepers were essentially treated as dead men walking. And as if that wasn't bad enough, the Jews believed that leprosy was a sign of God's judgment on that individual. As a result, most likely, of some gross personal sin. Now whether that was true or not, 
leprosy did serve as a very powerful illustration of the effects of sin in someone's life. Uh, Because with leprosy, pain, it gives way to numbness so that you no longer feel, and particularly with your extremities, although it, it goes through every part of you, resulting eventually in rotting flesh, in wounds that just don't heal, and often in missing digits, which often come about because the individual can't feel when they burn themselves on something or when they cut themselves on something, and it just doesn't heal up properly. Just like that in the physical, the leprosy of sin runs through our whole body so that we're utterly unclean. Sometimes even unaware of the damage that we're doing to ourselves. Utterly cut off from God, as lepers were cut off from society. The walking dead sufferers of leprosy like this man were a powerful, living, visible illustration of what each of us is like on the inside when it comes to our sin that makes us entirely unclean and entirely cut off from God. See, apart from the saving work of Christ Jesus, we are spiritually dead in our sins. And this man who comes to Jesus was all too aware of the effects of the leprosy on him. He knew he was unclean. In fact, he would have had to, as he walked around, declare that about himself. As people approached, he would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, to warn people. He wore the label. He knew his condition. When he came to Jesus, he came certain of two things. Firstly, he came utterly certain of the fact that he was sick, that he was unclean, that he was untouchable. He knew that. But if you notice, he was also thoroughly, thoroughly convinced of something else. Because when he came to Jesus, he fell on his face and begged Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He knew that he was unclean, but he also knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if Jesus willed it, that Jesus could make him clean. It was utterly within Jesus' ability to cleanse him completely from his leprosy. He knew those two things for sure. But he had a question too, didn't he? If you will. See, his question that he must have asked as he approached, as he even broke the law in coming so close, is will Jesus do it? Is he willing or will he turn me away? Will he turn his back on me because of my unclean condition 
And so he came. He bowed down low. He submitted to Jesus as his only possible source of healing. He had no other hope. And much like he did that, we must come to Christ too as our only possible hope of cleansing from the leprosy of sin in our lives. All too often, though, I don't think we are that much like this man, tragically. I think often many of us get caught up in the shame of our sin. See, like this man who had to go around declaring of himself unclean, unclean, we, we hold that identity of ourselves, unclean, unclean, because we are aware of our sin, which separates us from God. But unlike this man who knew, if you will, you can make me clean, I think sometimes we doubt that Christ can do that or will do that. We begin to believe that Christ couldn't really forgive us. And so instead of confessing our sin and instead of asking for forgiveness, we try to cover it up instead of bringing it out into the light. Maybe you know that for yourself. Something you've done. Maybe something you've done for many years. And the shame of admitting that is just feels too great. And so you bury it and you hide it and pretend it's not there because to bring it out would be too painful, too risky. What if he won't cleanse you from that? What if he can't cleanse you from that? What if you're too far gone? Well, this leper was under no illusions about his condition. And he knew Jesus could do something about it. The question is, would he? Well, we don't wait long for the answer. The glorious answer is, yes, he did. Let's read from verse 13. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he, cha- he charged him to tell no one but to go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus touched him. (laughs) Jesus cleansed him. As this is stunning. This is amazing. Like we said earlier, to even be near this close to a leper was illegal. To actually touch him made Jesus ceremonially unclean. But imagine what it meant to that leper. See, actually, Jesus could have just said, I will be clean and cleanse the man of his leprosy. But Jesus reached down and made contact. He reached down and touched him. No one had touched him for so long. 
No one had even gone near him for so long. Maybe before he got sick, he'd been married. Perhaps he had children. Who knows? And yet for a long time, we read that he was full of leprosy. This wasn't like a new development. It had fully gone through his body. Who knows what state he was in? Who knows how many years he'd been utterly bereft of human contact? And Jesus reached out and touched him and brought comfort to him in his sickness and cleansed him. This is amazing. The man had asked if you're willing. And Jesus said loud and clear, not just with his words, but with his actions, I am willing. I'm with you. I understand your suffering and I care and I will cleanse you. This again is a, and a really powerful and amazing picture of how Christ has moved towards us in our sin-sick condition. He came. He took on human flesh. He came and suffered and experienced pain and loss and grief. And we read in 2 Corinthians 5 that, that he who knew no sin, Christ Jesus, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is amazing, isn't it? What Jesus did for this leper, he has done for each one of us. We read in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, if we acknowledge our uncleanness, that is like this leper who came to him aware of his condition, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Or cleanse, sorry, yes, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't this amazing? This picture of how Christ cleansed this leper who said, if you're willing, I know you can cleanse me. The promise of God is that if we come to him, we confess our sin, we confess like this leper, I am unclean. Would you cleanse me? He promises that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus cleansed the leper. He was willing. And he can cleanse you too. Let's read on to the next encounter. Will Jesus continue to live out what he said he would? Let's read from verse 17. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, 
to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. (laughs) So Jesus cleansed the leper and now he heals a man who's been his whole life paralyzed, unable to move. But he also says something amazing here. Even more amazing than the physical healing, actually. Jesus says that he forgives his sin. He forgives his sin. Now, because Jesus said that, a a, a lot of people tie the man's sickness directly to sin. And they say, well, he must have been paralyzed as a result of sin. And that may have been the case. The common view in the ancient world was that sickness was a result of sin. It was a result of either your sin or the sin of your parents or some other generational sin. And Jesus, on another occasion that we can read about in John's Gospel, actually straight out addresses that and says, do you know what? That's not the case. Well, it's not always the case, at least. People asked him about a man born blind, and they said to him, this man whose blindness, was it, whose sin caused it? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither. <laughs> In fact, actually, Jesus says, neither. Um, he was blind so that the glory of God might be displayed and that people might believe in the Son of Man, and Jesus heals him and opens the man's eyes but Jesus says this blindness wasn't a consequence of either his sin or his parents it wasn't divine retribution for wrongdoing but here with this paralytic man it's not clear perhaps his paralysis was a result of sin but there's something interesting to note is that actually Jesus forgives his sin and the man remains let down Uh, There's no apparent immediate healing on the forgiveness of sins. Jesus then heals him and tells him to rise up and walk later. Jesus forgives his sins. Because whether his sickness was a result of his sin or not, there is no doubt that he had sinned, just like you have, just like I have, and that his sin would separate him from God. And that whilst his paralyzed condition would prevent him from doing a great many things, it would not actually prevent him from his deepest need being met. It would not prevent him from having a relationship with God. But his sin would separate him from God. 
And so the first thing Jesus does actually is he meets this man's most profound need. And that isn't the ability to walk. This man's most profound need is that his sins might be forgiven so that he can come into relationship with God. And notice as Jesus forgives his sin, the man doesn't instantly jump up and go, amazing, you forgave my sin and now I'm healed. (laughs) His sins are forgiven, but he remains physically sick. And then as a further demonstration of his authority and out of compassion for the man, Jesus heals him from his paralysis too. This is amazing, right? This is amazing. And what's remarkable to notice is that this man did nothing to earn or deserve his forgiveness or healing. His friend's faith was commended for bringing him to Jesus. Jesus saw their faith and forgave the man's sins, but the man himself did nothing other than be carried in. This is interesting because to obtain forgiveness of sins for a Jew at that time, this man should have gone through a process. He should have gone through a process of penitence and offering sacrifices to make payment for his sins. He should have done something in order to have his sins forgiven. But he doesn't. He doesn't do anything. Jesus does everything necessary for this man to be forgiven. This is good news. (laughs) All this man does is contribute his need, his sinfulness and his sickness. And Jesus does everything to bring the solution. Let's read on now to the last of our three people. This is is my favourite of all three that we're going to look at today as Jesus encounters. Let's read from verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Now remember what we said earlier about fishermen and, and religious teachers who wanted to call the brightest and the best the religious elite, to follow them, to take on their teaching, to pass it on to others. And Jesus is called some fishermen. Not a great start if you're wanting to make your name uh, as a religious teacher and if you're wanting to propagate your teaching in the community. Fishermen aren't the pick of the bunch to do that. And now he goes out and he finds a tax collector called Levi and says to him, follow me. We read from 28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. This is a a great picture. I love this. After these two amazing healings of the leper and the paralyzed man, we read about Levi, a tax collector. (laughs) And like the fishermen before him, Levi left everything and followed Jesus. Now on the surface, this seems a lot less dramatic than the first two encounters. We read the leper, we read the paralytic man, and we think, this is amazing, Jesus heals people, this is awesome. And then we read about a a guy sitting outside at a tax collecting booth, it seems a bit less dramatic. But we have to understand something of the culture in order to understand the weight of what Jesus just did. Because this is huge. This is utterly outrageous. 
See, Jesus would have shocked people by calling fishermen to be his disciples because they were not the ones to call. And touching a leper was pretty out there. Like, that was a big no-no. Claiming to be able to forgive sins, well, that really wound people up because that was a claim to be God because God alone can forgive sins. That was a claim to be divine. But calling a tax collector was considered utterly beyond the pale. And we'll see in a moment the, the reaction that it stirred. And it's tricky for us to get this because we don't really have any sensible equivalent today. You might not enjoy paying your taxes. Maybe you're self-employed and you just have to submit your tax return for the year. Uh, but this isn't the same deal. See, the Roman Empire was big. It was vast. And the way to police an empire like that and to enforce your rule in an empire like that was through the recruitment of hired mercenaries in every territory that the empire spread through. Because you just, <laughs> like, there's no other way of doing it. Like, you have to pay people enough to be loyal to you and to enforce your rule as you spread through. But these cost money, and the only way to pay for those mercenaries and to afford that is to tax the living daylights out of the people in all the places that you've invaded along the way. And tax collectors were recruited for a fee to collect these onerous taxes. And they would also often take a little extra, or a lot extra, for themselves, for their own pockets. See, basically, tax collectors like this guy Levi were profiting off the oppression of their own people. That's not a great look. It's not surprising that people responded badly to Jesus calling Levi and then feasting with Levi and his tax collector friends. See, it's like Jesus calling someone who has profited in some way uh, from or facilitated in some way the oppression and killing of some of your family. Put yourself in that position. As someone who's made their money, they've profited out of the oppression and killing of your relatives. And Jesus calls them and says, hey, <laughs> come follow me. And then goes and has a feast with them. How would you feel about that? I, my guess is that you would find that tough. Now, the Pharisees get a really hard press when we read the Gospels often and we talk about it. And, and you know, to be fair, <laughs> they deserve it a lot of the time. But in this instance, I think like we could probably sympathize with them. You'd probably feel the same as they did in this moment. But nevertheless, Jesus calls this guy, this traitor, this money-grabbing tax collector, and Jesus has fellowship with him, and feasts with him. And those around just don't get it. We read from verse 30, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? It's like, what are you doing associating with these people? And so Jesus states again why he came. He, he says again, like, I, I've been 
living out what I said I'd come to do. I've been living out why I'm here. I I told you I was going to do this. This is it. We read from verse 31, Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is good news. Because the truth is that none of us are truly spiritually healthy. Every last one of us is sick with sin. And Jesus said, I have come. Not for the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. The healthy don't need a doctor, the sick do. And that's who I've come for. That means two things for us. Firstly, it means that we have no space for pride, arrogance, or judgment when someone who we think of as a bad person comes to faith in Jesus. Because we're full of sin, just like they are. And secondly, it's good news because it means however messed up you are, however broken your life, however deep your shame, there is hope in Jesus because he came for you. He healed a leper who knew he was unclean, who knew he had no hope but Christ, who brought nothing to the table except for his uncleanness and his sin. He healed a paralyzed man. And what's more, he forgave his sin. And this man brought nothing to the table except his brokenness and sinfulness. He had nothing to commend himself to God. Yet Jesus extended grace to him, forgave him, healed him. And maybe even more shocking than either of those, he called a tax collector, someone who'd gone out of his way to facilitate the oppression of his own people for his own selfish gain. And Jesus called him, rescued him out of that place. Jesus is true to his word. We see as we read his actions match up to the claims that he made. And this is very, very, very good news. And yet what we'll see as we carry on reading through Luke's gospel is that these men who Jesus called to follow him, these fishermen and this tax collector and others who will join them, who leave everything to follow Jesus, well, do you know what? They don't become perfect when they start following him. Actually, they continue to miss the point. They continue to make mistakes. They continue to screw up and need forgiveness, need the grace of God. They are certainly, certainly not shining examples of moral perfection. And yet knowing that would be the case, and Jesus knew that would be the case, knowing that would be the case, he chose them anyway. He called them anyway, and he invited them to join him on his mission. Guys, this is good news. It's good news for me and it's good news for you because the truth is you are never too unclean to come to Jesus. You are never too broken to be made whole by Jesus. 
your sins are never so deep or so shameful that they cannot be completely and finally fully forgiven by Jesus. Your chains of addiction are never so strong that they cannot be thoroughly and completely broken by Jesus. And so I want to implore you, come to him today and find rest. Come to him and find freedom. Come to him and know peace. Come to him and know the loving embrace of the one who sees your shame, knows your pain, and cares and loves you more than you could ever know. The call to follow Jesus may well be followed by trips and falls as we stumble along the way. But in every moment, Jesus is there. Not to condemn you, but to pick you up and embrace you and call you on. And what's amazing, that he'll use you. Just as he used those that he called. In spite of your failures. In spite of your flaws. Guys, this is in part the wonder of the gospel. That Jesus calls the least and the lowest. He calls the outcasts and the broken. He calls those who are riddled, shot through, unclean with their sin. He calls the poor and the needy, and through them he chooses to reveal himself to other people. This is amazing. Through you and me. Through our brokenness and our weakness, God's glory and grace is revealed to the world. The call to follow Jesus is not a call to be good enough. It's not a call to meet a particular standard in order that you might call yourself a Christian. It's a call to recognize that you're not, but he is. The leper, the lame man, and Levi, none of them were good enough. Each of them knew they needed grace. And in Jesus, they found it in abundance. And gloriously, we know that Jesus is committed to our growth, that we don't just stay as we are when he finds us, but through our lives as we journey with him, we go through a process of growing more and more into his likeness as he works in us by his Holy Spirit. And our great hope is that one day, when Christ returns and makes all things new, we will be perfect. There will be no sin. There will be no shame. There will be no sickness. But until that day, we look to him and we find grace and hope. So what's our response? What are we to do? What do we do this week? I wonder if Phil and Joe might be able to come and lead us in one final song. Because I want to suggest that the best thing that you could do in response to this news, the best thing that you could do this week is to look to Jesus. To remember again that everything you need is found in Him. That all your hope is found in Him. To remember again His kindness, to allow His compassion, the compassion that caused Him to reach out and touch the leper, that led Him to forgive the sins of and bring complete healing to the paralyzed man. Remember that compassion and allow it to dawn on you afresh. 
and if there's sin that you've hidden and buried for fear of judgment, then I want to encourage you to own it, to bring it out into the light, to confess it, to bring it to him, and to know that just like the leper who came to Jesus, you can be cleansed. Remember, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this week, look to him. Hope in him. Find strength in him. Delight yourself in him and glory in your sins forgiven. Rejoice in the fact that though you may be weak and poor, Christ is more than enough. And he bids you, come and follow him.